wherever you may be around the world, and thank you for your company once again on truthtoyou.org. That's truth2u.org. I'm Jono, and joining me is my very good friend and co-host of the Tanakh Tour, author of The Moses Scroll. That's themosesscroll.com, Ross Nichols. G'day, mate. Hey, Jono. How's it going? I'm pretty well. Hey, let me tell you, Let me before we get started, I listened to a podcast this week. Uh, our friend in Go Australia, on. our my other friend in Australia, Matthew Hamilton, sent a note... Hey. To, uh, to a few of us who are working together on the scroll and so forth. He said, hey, you guys, if you haven't heard this, check it out. There's a podcast called Weird Religion. Weird Religion. And, and evidently, oh, yeah? uh, I've only listened to one or part of one episode. It's a man who is a biblical scholar, evidently. And a woman, I don't think her background is biblical scholarship, but anyway, they get into all kind of topics ranging from who knows what. It's weird religion. And and uh-huh. this particular podcast included, it wasn't only about Shapira scrolls, but it was about the Shapira manuscripts. And so hmm. I think the second part of it had to do with the wife of Jesus and some scroll. I didn't listen to that. That doesn't interest me. Although it might interest, uh, you know, others. Just I just wanted to listen to the Shapira thing. It it was it was horrible. <laughs> I mean, it was it was really bad. I, you know, I don't I don't mean to be I don't mean to be ugly or or bad, but it, it just it got. First of all, one of the things that really kind of got to me, and it was from this uh, biblical scholar, so to speak. He mm-hmm. said that the text. Obviously, he hasn't studied it or read it closely, but he said it's boring. Do you consider... Oh, my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what? Yeah. It's yeah. boring? It's boring. It's Dude. boring. And he has, and he, no, he, has, he has no place letting the sound come out of his head. I, who can possibly read this text and know anything about it and then come away going... Yeah, it's just it's boring. boring. Now, it's look, the most fascinating thing. Now, oh some goodness. people might think, well, Ross, you're mad because he didn't mention your book. That's not it at all. <laughs> he he did mention Edan's quite a bit, but he okay. obviously hasn't read Edan's work. Uh, right. And and they got you know quite a few facts wrong. And I'm sort of a stickler for detail, you know, and so. When you start off a podcast and you're talking about Shapira and he brings his manuscript forward, he said, this scholar, I'm using air quotes, listeners can't hear, this scholar <laughs> said, 1893, he brings the scroll. Well, it's not 1893. 1893? See, no. look. No, you're it's a decade eight, off, dude. You're a decade off. Now, he did he just make a mistake? I don't know, but anyway... So the whole show, uh, they talk about a little bit here, and they bring in some... But they just... Let me let me say it this way. Let me be much nicer. They just didn't know enough about the scroll to do a show on it. In one way, I'm excited because someone else is talking about it, so I should have been more okay. positive, maybe. Maybe let's just play like I didn't say all those bad things about the podcast. <laughs> okay. uh, they're sadly... Uh, misinformed or uninformed because they just don't know enough. So I would encourage those two that do the Weird Religion podcast. Certainly they listen to ours. Uh, They should if they don't. Obviously they don't, but they need to. Uh, Anyway, uh, so anyway, there is a podcast out there, Weird Religion, 
uh, I don't even want to give people the address because it's just... <laughs> so what you're saying is Matthew Hamilton. Good day to Matthew Hamilton. Uh, yep. Excellent work on the Shapiro Scroll here and his fellow Aussie. Um, sent you a link that wasn't worth listening to, and you're just telling everyone don't listen to it. <laughs> it's basically the short of the that's right. Of the story. Uh, that's right. But, and, but, but let me let me but, just say, Matthew is the man on the planet. Like no, he's the man. Nobody. I'm talking. Nobody can even hold a candle to Matthew Hamilton. This guy has everything, and he has this knack. Uh, he has this ability to find. Anything that pops up on the web about Shapira, he's always the first guy. He goes, hey, I found this obscure whatever. Here you go. Mm -hmm. Uh, So anyway, but he sent me that one and it just, uh, you know, I wanted to listen to it. We appreciate his work. The thing that, and I was thinking about this even this morning, and you and I have spoken about it before and I'm sure we've mentioned it a couple of times. We're going to mention it again, but it still baffles me that people aren't falling over themselves to at least look at what the scroll says. I understand that there's an initial fear of um, something different to what you have held to all your life. I understand that. That's fine. Um, We all sort of, you know, lean towards our own uh, confirmation bias, and that's just human nature. But for for the biblical, uh, for, for the people who study the Tanakh, and, yeah. and truth to you listeners are people who mm-hmm. study their Bibles, um, and they listen to this program, and, and you know, we, we love you for it, dear listeners. But when I'm speaking to uh, people who are, you know, let's say academics even, I, it, it just continues to baffle me when they say, you know, oh, what are you working on? Oh, well, I'm working on this. If it were me, I'd be like, you got what? <laughs> where, where, where was it found? Yeah. But, 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 but what does it say? What does it say? That right. should be the question, you know, interjecting into the conversation. Tell me now, what is it? Can I read it? Can I just, let me take this away and I'll go and read it. That is, it, is, it is it available anywhere? Is it available? Is there a book on it? There is. That's right. Uh, and Mm-mm-mm. so, yeah, it, it, it truly baffles me. But there are more and more people that are, the, I mean, we were. Talk, I was talking to one of them um just earlier this week, another person who's absolutely infatuated with it really believes that it's an authentic scroll, a friend that we have in Israel yep. uh, there. And and um, uh, people are really starting to catch on to this, but it is something that is not boring. You and I have been studying this in great depth for the last year and a half or so, and yeah, we're not and letting up. No, and in fact, we're getting deeper and deeper. I, I shared with you, the listeners might want to know, I'm working now on a spreadsheet that breaks this oh, so good. scroll down literally line by fragment by fragment, line by line, word by word, letter mm. by letter, character, down to the character, and then we'll then take that and we'll be able to find all sorts of new things. That Look, it, like you said, when I found the evidence that I was, you know, as I began to unpack this thing and I said, wait a minute, you're telling me that this manuscript was found in 1865. So, you know, it comes to Shapiro in 1878. They dismissed mm. it. One of the chief reasons were the external characteristics, which they thought were ridiculous, found in a cave by the Dead Sea. You think it's more than 2,000 years old, wrapped in linen, coated in asphalt, written with paleo heat. Uh, come on. All that stuff sounded <laughs> ridiculous. 
And then, and then 80 years later, you find the Dead Sea Scrolls and all of those points are moot. Oh, come mm. on, man. So anyway, mm. this, this thing absolutely, for many, many reasons that we've talked on various shows so far, mm. has me, uh, I, I don't even know how to describe it. It is clearly, in my mind, authentic. Now, what mm. does that mean? We can debate that. But we are in the midst, Jono. Our listeners have joined us once again because they're hanging on what's the next thing we're going to talk about. And we're to, right. we're to word five of the ten words this week. Word five, Yeah, Jono. that's where we are. We're halfway Man. through. And uh, in word five, it reads like this. It says, you shall not commit adultery with the woman of your neighbor. I am Elohim, your Elohim. And uh, as we discussed last week, Ross, there are qualifiers to these. Um, we mentioned the, the three. You shall not kill the soul of your brother. You shall not commit adultery with the woman of your neighbor. You shall not steal the property of your brother. That'll be next week. Um, these qualifiers are absent from the canonical text. They're not there in Deuteronomy. They're not there in Exodus. That's not to say that it's not uh, there in the text of the Tanakh, and we're going to be getting into that, Right. but um, you shall not commit adultery with the woman of your neighbor. Where would you like to start? Well, let me let me say a couple of things before we dig into this text. This is, uh, this is exciting. Uh, one of the things I wanted to point out is that the order, you know, the sequential order of several of the words in our Moses scroll match or correspond to the canonical text. If you look broadly... Mm-hmm. For instance, Sabbath, parents, killing, adultery, stealing. Those five are the exact order as you would find in Exodus and Deuteronomy. The wording is different, the phrasing is different, and so forth. Uh, as you mentioned, there are qualifiers. But, but nonetheless, this order is consistent. And we also find that in the prophets. We're not going to do that when- yet. Let, yeah, let me just let me just qualify. Mm-hmm. Let me just uh, make sure I understand what you just said. When you say order, you're referring to the way they appear in the in the canonical text because you mentioned Sabbath there. Yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. Am I wrong? Am I wrong? Well, because... the Sabbath is is number two in the. Oh, you mean uh, between yeah. Deuteronomy and Exodus? They're the same order. Okay, I've got you. Keep going. No, what I'm saying is that even I'm not even talking about the wording. So, for instance, in the Moses scroll, you have. Sabbath, um, don't count it. Don't tell me that's number two. I know it's number two in the Moses scroll. You have Sabbath, you have uh, parents, you have killing, you have adultery, you have stealing. Stealing. Okay. In Exodus and Deuteronomy, you have Sabbath, parents, killing, adultery, and stealing. Oh, I see. I see your point. You see what I'm I'm saying? Now, I see your point. The numbering is different, but the numbering is different. If you just had Exodus and Deuteronomy, those are pretty much the same, but you don't know what number you're looking at. Mm. But I'm just looking at the order, the flow of these five, even mm. though the mm. wording and phrasing is different. Now, I'm with you. I want to kick us off with something, Jono, uh, about adultery. So, so the first thing I want to do is read a passage uh, from Proverbs chapter six, if I can start there. Mm. Let's just kind of let's kind of start here, and then we'll dig in. It says, "Now I'm going to read from the ESV, which is a pretty literal, accurate English translation. Yep. It's a Christian Bible, mm-hmm. but all right." So it says, uh, oh, "It's good." Proverbs six thirty two: He who commits adultery 
lacks sense. He who does <laughs> it destroys himself. He will get wounds and dishonor and his disgrace will not be wiped away. For jealousy makes a man furious, Jono, and he will mm. not spare when he takes revenge. He will accept no compensation. He will refuse, though you multiply gifts. In other words, if you take another man's wife or woman, as the case might be, uh, you can't you can't hardly just wipe that away. You're gonna you're gonna, mm. and that's true. I mean, look, this is now. I did want to bring up uh, the English. He who commits adultery lacks sense. In the Hebrew, mm. it really says uh, uh, instead of lacks sense, it's I think it's better to say lacks heart. Lacks heart. He who mm. destroy he who does it destroys his nephesh. We talked about that last week. You literally destroy right. your, your soul. soul. I mean, it's a bad deal. And and you can't mm. say, hey, I took your wife, and uh, how about a horse and uh, maybe a buggy? Would that be okay? No, it's not okay. No. You're talking about, mm. I'm going to get revenge, I'm going to beat you, whatever it takes. So the question becomes, and this is kind of what I wanted to start with, I use the word adultery in my translation. You shall not commit adultery. And I basically follow some standard translations there. And you might ask, well, why did you do that? The The first thing that I wanted to talk about was the, the what is adultery in English, like how do we define adultery? Not necessarily, mm-hmm. uh, it, well, let me start here. Is that an accurate English translation, first of all? Because we can talk about what does it mean, what do people think about when they hear adultery. The mm. Hebrew the Hebrew simply says in the canonical version, lotinaf, lotinaf. And our Moses scroll also has lotinaf, but then it adds the qualifier, or we might say that the canonical drops the qualifier. So, mm-hmm. so the here's the point: lotinaf is all we have in the canonical Hebrew. Lotinaf. Right. That means that tinaf is a verb. Okay, let me let me get this point down pat before we go further. So it really, if adultery is the right way to translate the Hebrew tinaf, adultery is really considered like a noun. People think about it as something you do, right? You you follow me mm-hmm. so far? In other words, but, but, in other words, it yeah, might be better to say don't adulterate. Um, okay. And I even wrestled with that. You know, should I say don't adulterate? Because by adding the word commit. He who commits adultery, or you shall not commit adultery. Commit is the verb, right? But oh, I'm with you. It commit is just inserted into the English. You and I are talking a lot offline about how to make the translation more accurate, more uh, clearly tied better with the text. But all mm. English translations do this when you take lotinaf and you say, don't commit, or you shall not commit adultery, you're really doing some things with the syntax that's not proper in the Hebrew, okay? Okay. All right? Commit is not there. So so really, I'm trying to figure out the best way to translate that. 
So the question becomes, is adultery, or even if I do it as a verb, adulterate, mm-hmm. is that the right English? So so what does the English word mean? Let's start there before we get into our fantastic text. I thought I knew what adultery means. Now, I know how people define it, but adultery, people sometimes think that maybe the root word is adult. It has something to do with adult. In other words, a person who commits adult, this is an adult sin. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. adult, adult is Latin. It comes to us from Latin and it's from uh, adult. Adolocer, which means to grow up in Latin. So adult okay. is one who grows up. A grown-up is an adult. Right. Adultery, on the other hand, I, I'm not an expert in Latin, but I did a little research. Adultery is really from, it's also from the Latin, but it's from two words, Jono. It's mm-hmm. from the Latin word ad and alter, ad alter. Adulter, ad alter, you see. Now, ad, mm-hmm. the first part, the ad means near to or towards, and alter right. means other. Like, you know, we right. know the word alter, A L T E R. As in alternative. Yeah. yeah, exactly. As in mm. alternative, alternative lifestyle, alternative whatever. Right. Alter means other. So together, they actually mean, if you look up ad alter in Latin, it's going to say to pollute, to dilute, or to defile. Because huh. it, it has to do with drawing near or towards or to something other. Like if you take two things that don't go together and you put them next to each other or or mix them, you're polluting it. Does that make sense right. so far? Yes. It's yes, a, it does. It's a mixing. All right. So the idea then with adultery is the same thing where you're taking something and you're mixing it you're you're bringing you're drawing near to or you're approaching something other than that which you should approach okay all right yep. this is making perfect sense continue yeah okay so now the other thing that i wanted to bring up is that there seems to be an overarching or an underlying connection with several of these words. So, for instance, if if you take a life, if you kill, as as the the word tells us, you shall uh, you shall not kill. Mm-hmm. You're taking something which doesn't belong to you. Right. If if you uh, adulterate, lotinath. If you do commit adultery. You're taking something which doesn't belong to you. And mm. then when we get to the command, the, the word next time, our next show is going to be on uh, stealing or larceny or theft or however you want to put mm. this. And, and again, that has to do with encroaching something which doesn't yes. belong to you. So it's almost like at least these three, uh, you know, uh, murder or killing adultery and theft are, are the uh, uh, antithesis of what is permitted. You, mm. you, you should stick to what's yours, Jonah. I should That's stick it. to what's mine. Don't That's take right. another life. Don't do this. Don't do that. 
So, so I just wanted to kind of lay the groundwork as we get into today's show. What is adultery? First of all, a person who commits adultery does lack sense because even if you're not scared of God, you ought to be scared of your woman, right? At least I am, <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> or <laughs> you can put it that way. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, you, you shall not commit adultery with the woman of your neighbor. The woman of your neighbor. Uh, Ross is the next component, mm -hmm. shall we? Yeah, let's dig in. Let's jump in this thing. Well, uh, as I mentioned, you and I were chatting on this yesterday, and I mentioned, um, as I mentioned in the opening of the show, there are some verses that connect uh, this action, this prohibited action, with the woman of your neighbor. One is uh, Leviticus 20, verse 10. Okay. Uh, if, if, uh, and, and let's stick with the ASV. You opened with that. If a man commits adultery with the wife of his neighbor... The woman of his neighbor, both the adulteress and the the adulterer and the adulteress shall be put to death. And his, we talked about the death penalty briefly last mm -hmm. uh, week. I don't think we have to go into that again right okay. now. But Jeremiah 29, 23, because they have uh, done an outrageous thing in Israel, they have committed adultery with their neighbor's wives, mm. and they have spoken in my name lying words and, and so on and so forth. They're not the only – I mean, there's some fairly obvious ones where uh, uh, this is connected – uh, it may not be connected in the uh, uh, in the representation of the ten words in Deuteronomy and Exodus, but these are not the only two uh, mm -hmm. verses. Ross, you 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 recited to me a whole lot more. Can you give us some of those now? Yeah, I, I tell you, there there are a couple of things. One one thing that I looked up uh, because you and I both do our own individual studies, and and when we come together, we have found some pretty cool stuff. And a lot of times, they complement one another and. Things you find I miss totally and vice versa. But I was curious about the phrase used in the Moses scroll. Uh, this at, this phrase that we don't find in the canonical text, this uh, eshet reecha, all right? Mm -hmm. and, and in Hebrew, eshet reecha is exactly what we find in the Moses scroll, but it's not found in, in Exodus 20 nor in Deuteronomy 5, in the command, lo tinaf. It just says lo tinaf in both Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5. But what is interesting is that eshet re'eka does occur in the 10 words in Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5. And I don't want to go too deeply huh. into this, but it does appear in the command uh, or the word in Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5 that's generally called covet, covetousness. Now, now by mm. the way, uh, Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5, if people will download, just simply download the chart that I uploaded on my academia page, you're going to see go. that Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5 don't agree. They use different, I, I have an English translation up, but even the Hebrew doesn't match. But the thing that does match is this Eshet Reecha. Now, let me tell people about this in Hebrew and English. If if you say a woman, it's Isha, mm -hmm. Aleph, Shin, Hey. Uh, if, if you want to say the woman of, it's Eshet. And, and that's because uh, for people that want to dig deeper into the Hebrew, it's in the construct state. So if I say the woman of your neighbor, your neighbor in Hebrew is Reecha. But mm -hmm. woman of, you wouldn't say isha re'echa, you would say eshet re'echa. 
That just simply means the woman that belongs to your neighbor or the woman of your neighbor. Now, the the thing that I wanted to point out is that in Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5, and we're going to, by the way, get to this in a few weeks in the Moses scroll, it does say Eshet Re'echa, as it does in the mm-hmm. Moses scroll. Uh, you hit Deuteron- You hit Leviticus 20. Uh, that's the one you just covered. Deuteronomy 5, verse 21. Again, this matches our Exodus chapter 20 and verse 17, or Exodus 20, 14 in English. Deuteronomy mm-hmm. 5, 21 is Deuteronomy 5, 18 in English. Lo takmod, you shall not covet or desire the woman of your neighbor. Uh, Deut- I'll just give these quickly, Jonah, and then we can pick them apart. Uh, Deuteronomy twenty two twenty four. This is the one that deals with uh, a person who, uh, how do we say, rapes, basically, a person, a girl who's uh, away from her house, right? Mm. And it says... Uh, uh, let's see where this is translating. Um, uh, the girl, because she did not cry for help in the town. This is where the punishment is dealt out to both. And the man, because he violated, or uh, ina, which is means to humiliate or to afflict the woman of his neighbor. Okay. Hmm. Quickly, Jeremiah chapter 5 and verse 8. This is a real critical verse of uh, a certain group, it says that they're like well-fed, lusty is the way the JPS says, uh, stallions, <laughs> neighing, yep. stall- each neighing or crying out like a horse, you know, I, I'm. you, you want mm. me to do the horse sound? No. Go on. No. <laughs> but on. It, you got to do it. <laughs> you did it for me yesterday. Go on. Okay. All right. All right. <laughs> it's like the man, <laughs> this guy is so lusty. He's described by Jeremiah like a neighing stallion. This is this is really critical of these well-fed, lusty stallion guys. There it is. All right, twenty-nine. Jeremiah twenty-nine, twenty-three. You you brought this one up. The women mm. of their neighbors. Again, this is like Jeremiah's in shock. They did vile mm. things in Israel. They committed adultery with the women of their neighbors. And and speaking in my name, false words. We, we'll get into all this in a later class. Then Ezekiel 18 is really bringing this up quite a few times. Ezekiel 18, 6, verse 11, verse 15. Mm-hmm. This is talking about the worst of the worst of society. And among the crimes or the sins, you might say, of these people... Uh, is these are kind of described as fetishes or the idols of the house of Israel. And mm-hmm. and uh, these people are defiled or they become unclean or polluted. Remember what our word adultery means. It's to pollute or to defile. Uh, mm-hmm. But they be- become defile- defiled uh, for taking the woman of another. Um, and then Ezekiel 22 verse 11 They've committed abhorrent acts with other men's wives. Mm. Um, they did, it says in Hebrew, asa uh, toeva, abhorrent or abominable. 
So mm. that's we can pretty much guess what that is. It's exactly mm. what people are thinking. Ezekiel thirty three twenty six. So Ezekiel is a priest, the son of Buki, and uh, mm. oh, Ezekiel is really railing these people. And this crime occurs there in Ezekiel thirty three, uh, just like it does in eighteen. And then the final one is the one that I brought up to kind of kick us off this morning is uh, Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 29, where it says, The one who uh, sleeps with his fellow's wife, or his the wife of his neighbor, and, and thereby mm. defiles or makes them unclean, and uh, the land as well. So, so there are quite a few. Now, those are specific to the phrase eshet re'ehu, the, the woman of a neighbor. By the way, I think a lot of our, your listeners know this, but there's really no word in Hebrew for wife. In English, mm. we say wife. We have a word wife and a word woman. But a woman of your neighbor is we would define that as a wife because a wife in English is someone who belongs to a husband and a woman that belongs to a man is, uh, but there's really no word for wife. So just wanted to mm. make that point. I think a lot of people don't sure. know that. So The other word, of course, that we need to focus in on is is neighbor. Of course, um, everybody knows the uh, uh, the question, the, the pressing question from, well, maybe not everyone knows, but it's a very familiar uh, question in the New Testament, mm-hmm. a conversation between Jesus and a chap, and they're talking about this, that, and the other, and, and he poses to Jesus the question, and who is my neighbor? Mm-hmm. What is my, who is my neighbor exactly? And it's an interesting thing. It's, it's a very valid question, because generally speaking, when we think of neighbor, I mean, when I think of neighbor, I think of my next-door neighbor, the person, the, the, the houses directly next to mine, these are my neighbors. Uh, is that what it means in Hebrew, and uh, or is there a, a greater meaning here? And it's an interesting thing. We talked um, briefly last week about how uh, some of the commandments pertain to brother, yep. but when you get to the blessings and the curse, it may interchange brother with uh, with neighbor or with associate. Uh, not so with this, and also with, uh, by the way, the and we'll get there eventually, the commandment not to covet. Mm-hmm. In this case, uh, it refers to the neighbor in the commandment. It refers to the neighbor in the blessing. It refers to the neighbor in the cursing as well. And uh, and it's an interesting interesting thing. Uh, it helps to sort of define, I think, uh, the use of the term. Uh, neighbor, yeah. would it be fair? Would it be fair to define it as somebody who was close to you, either by proximity, in, in other words, someone who borders your land, or by blood, uh, that is to say someone who you're related to closely, someone who's close to you by blood, uh, or a companion, you know, like your best friend, your 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 um, circle of friends, if you like, or your, or um, whatever companion, um, whatever form a companion may take. Uh, do you think that'd be fair, Ross? I, I do. And, and let me add something to that. This is, it's really a good question. And the story in the Christian Gospels is, is actually pretty good because it points us in the right direction. This is a very uh, true and valid debate that's going on. Whether somebody believes that it actually happened uh, in the Second Temple period with between a person named Yeshua or Jesus and, and someone else, 
is is a totally different question altogether. Yeah, but point, yeah. but it's it's a brilliant discussion, and the response is interesting too, uh, because if we look only at the Pentateuch, for instance. You, you get, even within Leviticus 19, which some of the early observers or uh, analysts of this text in the 1800s uh, made the association, and, and those people will see why, especially as we get further into this text, between Leviticus 19 and the Shapira manuscripts. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, mm. and, and there are several things. Leviticus 19 is called, it's part of what scholars call the Holiness Code. And if you go through Leviticus 19, you're going to come up with a list of 10. And and each of these 10, let's call them commandments for the sake of uh, discussion, Mm. uh, end with an interesting thing. I am Jehovah, your Elohim. Uh, Mm. Whereas our text, uh, the Shapira document, says, I am Elohim, your Elohim, or Anochi, Anoch, Elohim, Elochecha as the mm. Shapira manuscript puts it. But uh, the interesting thing about this particular text uh, is that when we talk about the neighbor, uh, in Leviticus 19, most people know this command. A lot of people, sadly, think it's a Christian uh, addition or something that Christianity came up with. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Well, mm. you might, if you read Leviticus 19, 18, you might think, well, I'll just love my next door neighbor. Uh, mm. You know, I don't have to love somebody three doors down. But if right. you continue to read in Leviticus 19, uh, look at, Jono, do you have your Bible? Look at Leviticus 19, and I think uh, 33 or 34, let's see, 34. Leviticus 19, 34. Okay, so it says, The stranger who resides with you shall be to you as one of your citizens. You shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I, the Lord, am your God. Mm-hmm. And, is this and, the one you're referring to? Yeah, and the reason that I bring that up is because if if you read Leviticus 19, 18, uh, mm-hmm. particularly the second part, you shall love your neighbor, Kamocha like yourself, mm. uh, if you're very narrow in your definition of neighbor, you, you know, you could say, well, my next door neighbor, I just love that person. Uh, but I don't have to love somebody in another town. or I, It's not this broad, mushy, love everybody that Christianity puts forth. This could be your view. But as mm. you get down into the holiness code and you get to chapter 19, verse 33 and 34, it, it kind of broadens that. Uh, in other words, who are you to love Kamocha like yourself? Well, this says even the stranger. So the point would be, you could look at this in a very broad sense as Christianity took it, uh, because it's not just a Christian teaching, although people tend to come away with that. It, there is this idea, and you can find in this verse in particular, Leviticus 19.34, even someone who's not your uh, next-door neighbor, so to speak, but a sojourner, a strain, a gare, someone who's living among you, you should love them as you love yourself. And now, also, other nations bordering, I think you brought this up a few moments ago, they hmm. can also be called your, la- your neighbors. So 
it depends. So, for instance, when when it comes to uh, adultery, I would say if you if I ask Bridget, look, it says in the Moses scroll that I am not to adulterate with my neighbor. Bridget, do you think that means just the next door neighbor, or can can <laughs> we say? Can we say that if somebody lives on 3rd Street and they're hot, can I adulterate with them? Because technically, they're not our neighbors, right? Right. So I think think our women would define that uh, more broadly and say, let me tell you what I think it means. (laughs) Let's go wide with the definition of neighbor. In no uncertain terms. So, so there's right. no danger. I, I would say that, particularly in this case here, the caution and the wide net definition is probably best, particularly when it defines neighbor. Now, you you, you mentioned a very valid point. Also, there is evidence within the Moses Scroll and within the canonical text that sometimes Rea. Uh, Rea uh, is defined and interchanged with the word for brother. Sometimes you find mm. your neighbor, sometimes you find your brother. And, and so, again, same thing goes with brother. In fact, there are four places in the Tanakh, uh, actually they're all in the Pentateuch, that say the woman of your brother. Um and, mm-hmm. and I'll just give you those verses. We don't have to look at them. Genesis 38, 8, and 9. Uh, but let's look at the ones in Leviticus. I think we got a minute. Let's look at Leviticus 18, verse 16. Again, our text says, Eshet Reecha, <clears throat> but this is Leviticus eighteen sixteen, and it says, um, Eshet Achicha. You shall mm-hmm, not brother. uncover the nakedness of your brother's wife or the woman mm. of your brother. It's your brother's neck. I see. I'm trying to sound mm. all sophisticated saying nakedness. That's not the way I talk. It's your brother's nakedness. That's the way right. we say it in the South. That's your brother's nakedness. Nakedness. The naked, right. the neck, by the way, nakedness oh. is in the construct. That's the nakedness of your brother. Your brother's woman don't, don't uncover her nakedness because that's his nakedness. Right. I like that verse. Right. It, sure. You, so, but now, now, go ahead. So, so there's an example of brother. See, I, I, I'm, I hear what you say about um, uh, the possible broad application of, uh, of what neighbor might mean. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do like uh, combining the commandment, if you like, let's call it the commandment, with the um, corresponding blessings and the curses because uh, they often serve to define Okay. I suppose. Yeah. And and this is certainly the case in uh, in in this particular circumstance. So the blessing is blessed is the man who does not defile his neighbor's woman. And you've already mentioned that that right. this is a a defiling or a dilution or a. Uh, so we have that. The curse is cursed is the man who draws near. And you, as you pointed out, the drawing near is uh, uh, made obvious in the etymology of the Latin of the word mm-hmm. adultery. Mm-hmm. Uh, any man who draws near to any close relative, as you've just pointed out, a, um, a brother or the wife of a brother, any close relative or uh, who commits adultery with his uh, neighbor's woman, or 
who lies with any animal. Yeah. And this is why I I speculated that it might be best to uh, to define neighbour as someone who's generally close to you in some way, whether it be proximity or it be by blood or it be uh, in the form of a companion of sorts, including an animal. Um, you know, we, a lot of us have have a dog or a cat or, a, or a, uh, let's just say a goat. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah, and, and all uh, all those, by the way, are forbidden. All of those, yeah, that's right. All all of that is is forbidden. Any even uh, as it says in uh, in Job, uh, it says that um, let's see, Job thirty verse twenty nine. I have become a brother to jackals and a companion to ostriches or, or um, a neighbor to ostriches or to owls, some translations. That's mm-hmm. not to say that he has an inappropriate relationship with them, but obviously these um, are two words can, can go together as a, a man may find a companion, a close companion with, a, uh, with an animal. Yeah. Uh, and this is something that's forbidden to us. Right. Um, it, it might be that uh, the broader application is a personal uh, judgment call that you might want to impose upon yourself, and you know, rightly so. That's a uh, a personal uh, moral call. But I think, as I mentioned um, in previous programs, this is a a set of instructions given to us to ensure the smooth flowing of the society of our general sh- uh, surrounds, which is why it presents itself in this way. Yeah. But um, and and, but and by the way, uh, by the way, I know that you're not saying that it's okay, given that narrow definition, uh, to take the wife of or the woman of another person if they're not close or maybe in another mm. town. You know, if you think about it uh, biblically, and, and I'm asking as much as I'm saying this, but you think mm. of the story of uh, uh, David and uh, Bathsheba. Mm. Now, mm-hmm. they... They really do live pretty close to one another, evidently, because yes. David can look out and he can see uh, the rooftop but, of Bathsheba. Yeah. yeah, so they're they're really in that sense they close are enough. There. Yeah, close enough for him to be aroused by her as she bathes on top of the roof. I mean, right. um, yeah, they are close. They're they're close neighbors. Go ahead. Yeah. So, but I I also think, and it could be interpretive for me to say this, but I think that there's also an element of this that that has to do with taking what doesn't belong to you, but, but, mm. and, and, let me say and, not but, taking something that doesn't belong to you and which belongs to another, because uh, there are a couple of other things that a lot of people, uh, I think, have wrong biblically. Let me put it this way. Now, I'm not saying Bridget would buy into this, but biblically, you know, if we look at the Tanakh, uh, mm. and and by the way, even in the New Testament writings, I think this is evident, in the ancient world particularly, a man can take more than one woman, or I shouldn't say take, a man can have more than one woman, even sexually. Mm. Uh, and now, this a lot of people think about this, and they they typically will define. I think most people today would define in our Western society anyway. Not so much in the Middle East or in other places. Uh, and I'm excluding Israel because I think Israel is primarily modeled off of Western ideals in the modern state. Uh, but some of the Arab countries around there, it's it's mm. perfectly acceptable for a man to have sure. more than one woman. 
But we generally, I think you would agree, define adultery as if a man or a woman who is married has a sexual relationship with another married person, even if one or the other is single, that's adultery. Is that mm. is that fair? Uh, I think I think that's probably the general understanding, but it's not the biblical definition. That's Obviously, right. the biblical definition seems to be that uh, if a woman who is married has a, a relation with has relations with any uh, anyone else, that is adultery. If a man uh, who is married has uh, an affair with a married woman, that is adultery. If he begins another relationship with a single woman, that is by definition not. Ross. That's right. That's right. And that that brings up some terms. Like we're familiar, and and this is sort of trying to understand our terminology in the Hebrew Bible sense. Uh, polyandry is where a woman has more than one man, more than one husband. Mm. That that's not allowed in the Bible. Okay, mm. it's just uh, a, a married woman, a woman that belongs to a man can't belong to another man too. Mm. Polygamy is a general term which defines broadly, it means you can have more than one spouse. It can refer to a man or a woman. Polygamy Mm. with an M, with an M. Now, polygony with an N. Polygony is where a man has more than one woman. And we see this Mm. in the Bible. We see the patriarchs obviously have this. They're examples uh, we have Deuteronomy 21, verses 15 through 17, where it talks about, you know, if a man loves one of his wives and hates the other, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and there, there are rules about that. But I, I want to bring this up because I think, you, you know, we probably do have some Christians who listen in. In the New Testament, where you're defining uh, the role of a leadership in the, let's call it the church or the assembly, it says that mm-hmm. they have to be uh, the husband of one woman. Or I think it uses mm. wife, and maybe the Greek even supports that distinction between wife and woman. But the idea mm. is the same. You can't have more than one woman, particularly if in the church, if you want to be in a leadership position. Uh, but, so the idea that, that, um, that this is the rule biblically, the bottom line is... Biblically, a married man, even though marriage isn't a word in the Bible, uh, a person Mm. who has one woman, a man who has one woman, can also have another woman so long as she doesn't belong to another man. I think that's 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 the way I would put it. The the interesting thing, it got me thinking about this, uh, I think, off the, um, uh, I was listening to a Jordan Peterson uh, presentation, and he pointed out that there is roughly, and it seems to be the case throughout history, that there that there is roughly a fifty fifty split in population between the sexes. Um, I don't know that we've ever had a moment in history where there's seventy percent men and thirty percent women or or something like that. It's always been roughly we seem to produce fifty um, fifty mm. as far as the sexes are concerned. And what that means is, that if a man takes two, three, four, five women, then that reduces, or if if you like, it takes away the um, opportunity. Uh, it reduces the pool. It reduces the opportunities for other men. And then what happens is uh, finding a 
spouse becomes competitive, much more competitive. Right. And when men get competitive over things like this, uh, it can turn really bad. And any farmer would know, anyone who, who has livestock, whether it be as, as I used to have goats and chickens and ducks, you know uh, you don't put a number of bucks in the same paddock together mm-hmm. with the girls you just don't do it they're going to fight and they're going to fight until it's um until blood is uh, gushing forth the same is true of uh, the roosters you're not going to have a number of roosters they are going to go to war right. against each other you need to separate them put them in put the the bucks in another paddock with and it doesn't matter how many girls are in there right um he you know what i mean and so by uh having separate paddocks if you like to separate artificially um, the potential of violence uh, is a purposeful thing. And so, too, I think perhaps, maybe, that's what, uh, and I think it was Paul that, that you're referring to, uh, had in mind when, um, when, the, when the law of the land is to have but one wife, I think it artificially uh, eliminates yeah. the potential of violence that's related to the competition of having a woman. And uh, and that seems to work. Now there are there are people who say, well, okay, but it's my right as a man to be able to have more than one wife. Well, yes, you can you can argue that from a, a biblical perspective, absolutely. And I've had this discussion with people a number of times when they've asked me these questions, and I say to them, and here are the countries where you can do it. Yeah, that's um, right. <laughs> and, and they quickly they quickly lose interest, right? But uh, but but it's it's a fair discussion. Yeah. But understand that every time a man takes more than one wife, he's lessening the opportunity for another man, and that competition creates violence. Is 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 the point? And I thought that was very valid of Jordan Peterson to um, to raise. And I'd never thought about it that way before, but it's quite true. Yeah. And think about if you look at the pool of men, just just broadly, you you take a glance around. Uh, you know, just look at at people like uh, me and you, it just wouldn't be fair uh, to the other guys if if we joined in that game, you know, because you and I are probably like prize possessions. You can imagine how many people would be. <laughs> the only reason I can say that is because I know Bridget doesn't listen to these. So, uh, but, you know, but I'm joking a little bit, but, but think about it. If, if you had, uh, if this were allowed or permitted you would have some people, and I was joking about me and you, but you, you know, you have some some guy that's just really strong and handsome, and uh, you know, whatever. That person mm-hmm. might take several and leave uh, a, another person who's just average, with the opportunity of building a family and a beautiful life, and and I think mm-hmm. that that's uh, that's one of the reasons. And you know, people have argued over this and debated over this, what is permitted is not always what is ideal. So so I'll give you an example. The Dead Sea Scrolls, they, they talk about this very thing, and one of the arguments that they, this is in the community rule, by the way, uh, people mm. can look that up on the web, but there there's this passage that talks about uh, the, the Qumran community, let's call them Essenes, although that is debated mm. too, they made the argument that God intended the 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 in the beginning this is what it was supposed to be one man and one woman and that we get that their argument we get that because look at the garden of eden which is paradise you know god created adam and then from this adam he causes a deep sleep and he pulls out you know the woman and they're perfectly matched for each other 
And it's one man, one woman. And uh, mm. they they go on to argue that based on the story of the flood, it works that way in the animal kingdom as well. It should be uh, one animal and yeah. his mate. You know, two by two, they go into the ark. Now, that's one story in Genesis of the flood, and we're mm. not going to go there today, but I'm going through this in my classes on Saturday. Uh, but there's sure. another story in Genesis that has been edited into and it says that there, you know, for clean animals, you would have seven of this. And you know, well, mm-hmm. uh, but but anyway, that I, I don't want to go into that right now. But the idea is that two by two, this is the argument of the Qumran community. Sure. So so we do have a precedent now. Even if you say, and you're rightly to say. Yeah, but in the Bible, a man can have more than one woman so long as it's not yeah, his neighbor's woman. This, this law is uh, artificially infringing upon my rights um, to, to have multiple women and to... Yeah. Because the idea is you, you want to produce uh, uh, as many children yep. as possible. This is mm-hmm. uh, the idea. And the law of the land is stopping me from doing that. And it... It's also a um, an interruption of uh, uh, natural selection, if you like. As, as you mentioned, someone who's particularly strong, uh, alpha male, handsome, so on and so forth, he's got everything going for him, and uh, he's going to be able to you know, take more wives. But as, as I said, that's going to uh, take away opportunity that's going to increase violence. But it's still arguable that this is the right of men. And when you look at the animal kingdom, as, as you just uh, cited, you see that um, it's the survival of the fittest, it's the strongest that survives, it's the strongest that mates and establishes their their line yeah. and uh, with as with as many uh, women as they can. Uh, and it is, but it is a violent world. You know, I, I've never seen this before, but it was recent that I watched a documentary and I had absolutely no idea. I don't know if you've seen this, but it was a documentary on giraffes mm-hmm. and. When two bull giraffes meet, the the absolute caning that they give each other, I had absolutely no no idea that giraffes could be so violent. If people have never seen this, you've got to look it up. But they fight for the right, as, as many, many animals do, they fight for the right to breed. Yeah. And, uh, and it's, it's amazing. But so many animals do, and we're not exempt from that. Yeah. But by artificially <laughs> imposing a law upon us that... Uh, uh, one man, one wife. Um, you have to understand that in society, that reduces that uh, propensity to, for violence. Yeah, right. and and I was just going to add that if you look at the examples, at least in the biblical text, you know whether you're dealing with the patriarchal narratives, it, you know we're going through those right now. If you if people are following the annual cycle of readings, you know uh, when you deal with uh, we first meet. Uh, uh, is it Lamech has two women, Ada and Zillah. Listen up, you women of Lamech. And then you get into Abraham. So it's very early they take more than one woman. But you get into mm. Abraham, and Sarah thinks it's a good idea to give Abraham Hagar. And, of course, you know, that doesn't turn out too well. And then you look at uh, Isaac only has one woman. And, of course, that doesn't turn out too well either in some places. But then, <laughs> But then Jacob... You know, Jacob has two women, and then they give him two more. And then throughout the biblical narrative, you you have Solomon has, uh, what is it, 700 wives, English Yeah, and 300 and something concubines, yeah. and, you know, like a thousand odd women. 
Yeah, that's like Gene Simmons with Kiss or something. I mean, that's a lot he's, of women. <laughs> he's got to get through three a day just to get through them in a year. Yeah, yeah, he's that's a, right. He's a busy boy. But but I tell you though, if and I don't know what this would be like in the modern world. I believe I'd, but I'd I just say get through. I think <laughs> I think it would be yeah yeah. But I think it would be I think it would be pretty bad. Or the potential for problems mm. for both. For the man and the woman, you know, I mean, can you imagine uh, trying to live that out? I think it, you know, it might sound kind of maybe some in today's might, world. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, you, you don't want to compound those. Yeah, I'm not going to say anything more. Yeah, you know? <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's it's enough. It's enough for one man and one woman to try to work things out. Uh, there you, don't, you go. You don't need teams of people ganging up on. I don't need two people or three people telling me, you know, you get it. It just wouldn't be good. <laughs> hey, but let me let me tell you. This. Yeah, let go me tell. You. Well, you know, you change the topic know. quick. Go. No, okay. Genesis thirty nine. This is ideal, I think. Okay, you yeah. have the story of Joseph. He is uh, working for Potiphar, and mm. Potiphar's woman. She belongs oh, yeah. to Potiphar. I mean, she mm. she has a hots for Joseph. And truth be known, Joseph probably could have gotten away with the crime that she wanted him yeah, to commit. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, who knows? Uh, she comes on to him several times. And, and I think Joseph plays this at least smart. Uh, he says, look, well, first of all, he says it would be a sin against God. Now, this is before... Uh, Sinai, at least chronologically in the narrative. Uh, so Joseph is aware that taking the woman that belongs to another is just not good. Let me give you another example. This is not just in Israel that they know this. Look at Avimelech. You know, Avimelech mm. is upset because Abraham or Avram says uh, to Sarah, look, when we go there, these Egyptians, you know, they're hound dogs. They're going to try, they're going to see how pretty you are and they're going to try to take you. And I want you to tell them you're my sister. My sister. Mm. Avi Melek gets mad about this. He goes, hey, man, why did you tell me that that was your sister? I could have actually uh, taken her to be my woman and and it would have been a bad thing. You know, Mm. I think Avi Melek is, is the higher standard in this story. Mm, you know, mm. uh, I know a lot of people might not like it when I say that, but really, I mean, he's he's true. He's saying, man, I would have never taken it. And we get the same story played out later in the patriarchal narratives of another person, also with Avi Melik. Is it the same Avi Melik or different? Or, uh, mm, But, but mm. anyway, I, I love the way Joseph handles this. He says, I, I'm not, he's, Potiphar has put me over everything in his house but you. And I think that's the approach. And I think that gets us close to understanding uh, yeah. the ideal, the ideal. Yes, yeah. there's a permission uh, for a man to have more than one woman so long as the woman, the second woman doesn't belong or any of his women can't belong to another man. Mm, no, very good. So here's one final question. I think is, I, I reckon we've done, we've exhausted this topic. I think it's really good. Uh and, and we didn't have to go into all of this detail, but inevitably when you talk about uh, topics like adultery, all of these questions come up because of the nature of uh, the way it's presented in, in the Tanakh. So speculation, Ross, mm-hmm. again, uh, and we touched on this briefly last week, but uh, why do you think perhaps that this is not in Deuteronomy, that the, the woman of your neighbor is not in Deuteronomy or in Exodus? The qualifier is missing 
Um, I mean, it's possible that uh, these three commandments, you you know, you shall not kill, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, were just abbreviated. Yeah. It's certainly a, a possibility, but for it to appear, to appear um, that way in both, uh, I don't know, I wonder if it were uh, by design, right? Uh, perhaps we're looking at a, um, a KSV, a King Solomon version, Ross. Um, ah. It's an interesting thing because you you cited, you know, of course, Solomon's father, David, committed adultery with Solomon's mother, Bathsheba, and uh, and I think also did not Solomon kill his brother upon uh, becoming king, uh, the contender of uh, uh, oh, when he asked of the when kingship he, when he asked for one of David's women. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. and then there was that, mm-hmm. and then there was. Um, uh, Abishag is that who I'm thinking of there, and um, uh, and you, the the, uh, the youngest of uh, David's wives. Uh, you shall not steal the property of your brother, and of course that reminds me of the parable that Nathan told David in regards to his sin mm. about. Um, uh, I guess it was sort of parabolizing the situation with Bathsheba and saying, you know, there was a man with a lamb. Uh, with the sheep and and so on and so forth, which kind of illustrates this as well. Yeah, I don't know. I have absolutely no evidence that perhaps um, uh, this is the reason why the qualifiers were left off. But it's interesting to speculate. It, it is in interesting, and and I would add one other thing. The reason I would side there are two options here. Either one option, and the one that most people who haven't studied this manuscript, the Moses Scroll, or the Valediction of Moses, as Edan calls it. Uh, Mm. What most people would say is that the qualifier was added in our manuscript that it was originally not part of the real ten words, if you will, real ten words, Mm. uh, as as we have in Exodus and Deuteronomy, even though they don't agree. But the Mm. reason I think otherwise is because with the qualifier, the eshet reecha, that phrase, that exact phrase, does occur later on, not only in our manuscript in the Ten Words, in the Moses Scroll Ten Words, but mm. it also appears in both Exodus and Deuteronomy, demonstrating a consistency throughout. So yep. not only are you you not to adulterate the Eshet Reecha, but later we're going to find out uh, there's another word that's used. You're not supposed to adulterate, but you're not even supposed to. Uh, the English generally says covet, uh, but we'll get mm. to that in a future class. So, so in other words, I'm, I'm saying it's it's in the text already. That the eshet reecha is already there, and I think that it is dropped off in Exodus chapter 20 and Deuteronomy chapter 5. That's what I think. Mm -hmm. So perhaps it was lazy or perhaps it was by design. We can leave it to you, dear listener, to make up your mind about that and speculate. We're going to be getting to next week. You shall not steal the property of your brother. And until then, dear listeners, have a great one. Have a beautiful one.